0: My name is Beth Ann. I've been teaching yoga for just one year now. And I'm curious since I'm a female and have never lived in the body of a male, what should I be paying attention to and how should I be cueing the men in my class, especially with regard to their hips and hamstrings? Thank you. Hi, Beth Ann. I know that you are not the only yoga teacher who's wondering this. So I appreciate that you're giving us all an opportunity to unpack some of the layers that are available in relationship to this question and also the way that you worded it. These days, most of the people who teach and practice yoga identify as women. That has not always been the case, but it is the current situation. And there are definitely gender dynamics happening in the yoga classroom So I think that you asking this question really speaks to how much you care about offering all of your students a positive experience in your class. One thing that came up for me when I heard your question was that you threw out the word men, but you didn't define what you actually mean by that. And I know that used to be a really simple definition, but it's not anymore. Now that we understand more about what it really means to separate sex and gender and to separate those assumptions, we need to be clear when we use the word man because it can refer to a gender identity and it can also refer to specific sexual characteristics. So when I hear the word man in this question, I'm not sure whether you mean people who identify As masculine, people who have a Y chromosome, or people who have a penis. Now, it used to be, again, that all of these categories were kind of lumped together under the umbrella term man. But now that we understand that there isn't a perfect overlap between these categories, we need to be more specific. For example, there are people who have a Y chromosome but no penis, or people who have a penis but don't identify as masculine right? People who wouldn't describe themselves as a man, and yet there are certain sex characteristics that they share with men. Now, this may be an angle of the conversation that you weren't really intending a can of worms you weren't trying to open, but it is an important part of thinking about how we separate and categorize people because our brains just love to take shortcuts by making assumptions, and this is a big way that humans make mistakes is by taking these shortcuts. So in a situation like this, where our understanding of a topic is rapidly evolving, there's a kind of awkward phase where we have to spend a lot of time questioning our assumptions in order to find our blind spots, and to shed a light there and, and make this new language and this new way of thinking about sex and gender start to come naturally. So part of this is just noticing when you've made an assumption. When you recognize that you've made an assumption, you've already begun to undo the cultural conditioning that leads to a lack of nuance and potentially harm. This doesn't have to be dramatic, it doesn't make you a bad person, any of us. Assumptions are normal, we all make them. And when we recognize them as assumptions, we're gonna be more alert to information that either confirms or contradicts those assumptions, i.e., we will be open to learning. So the first thing I wanna to say to answer your question And hopefully this will put your mind at rest to some degree, there are no specific cues around the hips or the hamstrings that apply specifically to people with penises, people with Y chromosomes, or people who identify as masculine. Just like gender is a spectrum, biological sexual expression is also a spectrum, and people in general come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. So you might be thinking about how some of the male-identified people who show up at your yoga classes do often have more restrictions in their range of motion in their hips or their hamstrings. It's true that the pelvic shape on average is different, and that leads to less range of motion. But these differences are on average, and they're not a rule. So they don't lead to needing to use different cues in a yoga class because There is a wide range of what's normal for humans, and that range overlaps between the sexes. But that doesn't mean that sex and gender are completely meaningless when it comes to teaching yoga. Let's touch on how some of the different definitions that I mentioned earlier about the word man might affect a yoga practice. Some of the salient qualities that are influenced by sex include physical size, connective tissue makeup, weight distribution, bone shape, most notably the pelvis and the spine, and also the actual dangly bits. The last one is pretty straightforward, so I'm gonna address it first. Having your genitalia in front can be awkward and uncomfortable, especially when you're lying on your belly. But this is also the case for people with breasts. So the solution is to use inclusive language Where you make it safe for anyone and everyone to adjust body parts that are getting uncomfortably squished. And you just treat it in a very matter of fact way. It's no big deal. We all have squishy bits. Physical size can make precise movement more challenging. People in larger bodies report feeling more awkward and having less control over their movement. This makes sense because there's more to track, but. This is so much individual variation. It's just not useful to make any assumptions about how size is going to impact an individual's ability to move, other than just making sure that everyone has enough room, that they don't feel like they're going to hit anyone else, and encourage all people to adapt the practice for what works for their individual body. The body type that we associate with the male sex has broader shoulders and narrower hips, bodies we associate with femininity have broader hips and they carry their center of gravity lower towards the ground people whose center of gravity is lower to the ground will have generally an easier time with standing balancing poses and people with a higher center of gravity will have an easier time with arm balances so if you look around your classroom and you see mostly people with really broad shoulders That'll give you some indication about which types of poses might be easier for them or harder and vice versa. So you can see how these types of categories can be useful when we're thinking about groups of people. But remember that it's really tricky to then extrapolate that to an individual. For example, I happen to have broad shoulders and I find arm balances to be easier and standing balance poses to be more difficult. You wouldn't think that if you were just looking at me and making assumptions based on my gender expression or my sexual characteristics. But if you look at what you're actually looking for, it's like, oh yeah, that person does have kind of broader shoulders and narrower hips. The key here is to treat individuals as individuals and check with them about their lived experience instead of making assumptions. We can also talk about hormonal differences between men and women. Higher levels of testosterone lead to larger muscle development, which can limit range of motion and increase strength. However, there's not a ton of clear data about the actual causes, specifically in the differences in flexibility how much of it is based on the hormones themselves and how much based on activity and lifestyle. Studies have shown that people who present as male with the narrow pelvis do tend to have less range of motion in their hips, but it's not across the board, so it's not that useful to us as yoga teachers. Moving beyond anatomy to the ways that masculine and feminine people are socialized, masculine people are often encouraged to push beyond comfort and to derive value from achievement. This could be the case of a person of any sex, any gender, but on average, it's more common for those socialized as male. This could actually be part of why in our culture, people socialized as male are less likely to be regular yoga practitioners. One, people who are more flexible feel successful when they attend yoga class while those who are less flexible might feel like they're not as good at it. And the feeling of not being good at yoga could lead to less motivation to practice, especially in somebody whose social conditioning is that their value is wrapped up in their ability to achieve. For example, if we emphasize hip mobility in our classes, we might think that we're doing people with less hip range of motion a favor, And it might inadvertently lead to them feeling less successful, feeling less motivated to come back and end up getting less benefits from their practice. There really isn't anything that we as yoga teachers can do to prevent that. I'm mentioning it to illustrate that there's so many variables to people benefiting from their practice that yoga teachers cannot control them all and really should not try. Another angle to this dynamic is that when we as yoga teachers emphasize that yoga is not about being good and it's not a competition, that you can't win, people who have absorbed the competitive socialization that we often associate with masculinity might tend to feel a bit bored in that kind of environment. If you spent your whole life trying to achieve and Generate your self worth through achievement, then you go to a class where the teacher's telling you, hey, there's nothing to achieve here. Some people might feel relieved, and some people might feel let down, like, well, then what am I doing here? You might also wonder, well, who would I be without my drive for achievement? And if you're not ready to ask yourself that kind of question, then you might not want to come back. As yoga teachers, we strive to find a balance between encouraging our students to listen to their bodies and practice yoga non-competitively, while also accepting people as they are now, welcoming them to our classes as they are now, without feeling responsible to change our students, even the ones who are pushing themselves in their classes, more than we personally think is wise. There just isn't a perfect answer or a way for you to teach, for any of us to teach, that's going to please everyone and serve everyone. So please do keep repeating your messages of inner listening and self-acceptance because you never know what impact that's having, either below the surface or perhaps over the long run. And recognize it may not be everyone's cup of tea and some people won't come back. That's okay. So let's zoom back out and check in with the overall message of this episode. While there are differences on average between men and women, however, you're defining those categories, the differences are only useful when you look at averages across a population. They're not very useful, and in fact, can be quite harmful when making assumptions about individuals. Anytime we're talking about real people, we need to assume a large range of normal and plenty of overlap between sexes. What this means for us as yoga teachers is that it's more important to learn how to accommodate and support a variety of bodies in our classes than to memorize different cues for different body types. When we think about cues in our classes, I find it most useful to teach based on patterns that all humans share. For example, all humans share a ball and socket hip joint that has the ability to move in a 360 degree range of motion. And the extent of that motion is going to vary from person to person. So rather than trying to cue in a way that uses different words for different people, work towards cueing in a way that includes all your students and gives them as much agency as possible, uh, as much free choice as possible while still providing enough guidance to help them feel supported and make good decisions. This is definitely easier said than done, and it does require plenty of trial and error. I wish that I could wave a magic wand and transfer the knowledge from nearly 20 years of mistakes to you, but since it's not possible, my best advice is to study anatomy. You really want to learn enough anatomy to understand how the human body moves, what's normal, what's limited, and what is variation, variations of normal. Then get clear on your intention for each practice, each section of practice, and each movement or exercise. What do you hope for your students to learn, to notice, to experience? Your cues will come from that intention and your relationship with your students, watching them. You'll give them some guidance and then watch how they respond to that guidance. Was the movement too complicated for them to integrate the instruction? Then try simplifying the movement or add stability. Did it seem like your students could use more challenge, something more to engage them fully into the moment? Perhaps, Add nuance or remove stability. There's lots of ways you can go from this, but it really starts from understanding the basics of anatomy and then watching the actual people you're working with. If you teach online or pre recorded, it's definitely more challenging. And I think it's really best practice for a yoga teacher to get a lot of experience teaching. Humans, real people, live before they try to do things that are pre recorded. Because you'll just have this history of understanding common patterns so that it's much easier to share something without that back and forth dynamic, without that watching and adapting to people when you've done a lot of that in the past. Okay, I hope this episode has helped to provide some ideas for how yoga teachers can address anatomical variations across all kinds of different human bodies without being overly reductive. Thank you again so much, Beth Ann, for asking a question that I know many yoga teachers are wondering about. It gave me the opportunity to share a bit of context, and I hope it helped you to feel more confident in your ability to support people of any gender or sex in your yoga classes. If you're listening to this and you have a question about teaching that you'd like me to address in a podcast, I'd love for you to go to my website at teachingyoga.net and look for the record a question button. You could also type in speakpipe.com slash yoga underscore teacher underscore resource If you have trouble finding the button on my website for any reason, as always, thank you so much for listening and thank you for caring enough to teach yoga.